You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. Amen. Pastor Steve is in Topeka, Kansas today, preaching at his brother's church, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, his brother's on a, a sabbatical. And I, if I got it right there too, I think you know Steve grew up in that area too at Topeka. So here he is now somewhere around 40 something, you know, but it's just neat to be there now when he was just a kid to be able to speak today and preach uh, for two services. I think they have the same rhythm that we have too. So Steve's probably getting after it right now. So it's really good. Psalm 27. Psalm 27 is a psalm of confidence and courage. How many in the room today need more confidence and just, we just need some more courage. The psalm starts with a question, whom shall I fear? And ends with, let your heart take courage. Let your heart take courage. Psalm 23, we were there a few weeks ago. Psalm 23 declares, I shall not want. Psalm 26 declares, I shall not waver. And Psalm 27 reminds us, I will not fear. I will not fear. And so Psalm 27 expresses David's confidence in the Lord and who he is. Uh, that God is a faithful God. God is a God who is present. God who is a God who is at work. This section of Psalm 27 speaks of trouble from enemies, adversaries, uh, false witnesses, and even violent men. But that was true in much of King David's life. Most Bible scholars don't know exactly what was taking place when David penned this Psalm 27, uh, but we don't know exactly what it was like. But David was going through a lot of stuff. And so we know in this psalm that God used this psalm to encourage him. And I pray today that you'll be encouraged by Psalm 27. David had what I would call a, a courageous faith. Here's our outline today. First, live with confidence. Second, make worship a priority. Emphasize prayer. Trust in the Lord. This is what Psalm 27, I believe today, is going to teach us through the words of God and through the experience of David in his life. A courageous faith makes it possible first today to, to live with confidence. Hear God's word in verse 1 through 3. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail or attack me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Verse 3, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. As you look at Psalm 27, and we look at the first beginning of this, you notice the phrase, the Lord. The Lord is my light. The Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my stronghold. In your text, there's a capital Lord, L, capital, and then O-R-D is capitalized for a reason because it represents Yahweh. 
Uh, Yahweh speaks of God himself, the Lord, the, the, the Lord that has always been. He, he's always been. He is the self-existent one. The God we serve today is an eternal God. He, he's a God today that we serve that is an unchanging God. He has always been church family and he will always be. Amen. He will always, he will always be. David's opening statement is, the Lord is my light, my salvation, my stronghold. Those are three significant statements that he makes, but that two-letter word, my, makes the difference. He could have said, the Lord, you know, he's my strength, and not use the word my, but he's saying this is something personal for him. This is personal, that the Lord is not light, just light for me, but that he's my light, that, that he is for me my salvation, that he is my stronghold. My light represents in this passage what is right, what is true, what is good, what is holy and righteous. The phrase my salvation represents deliverance from evil inside and outside. When he says my stronghold, he's representing a, a hiding place. So we, we get the idea there was something going on in David's life where he needed some protection. It was a place of, of refuge for him. I, I like that idea, that word of a refuge, just a, a place to, to get and to be and to be protected and cared for. You see, God not only protects us, but God himself is our protection. He's our protection. And so David says, when I put my trust in Yahweh, when I put my trust in the Lord as my light and my salvation and my stronghold, then what, what do I have to fear? What do I have to fear? At times, we all experience fearfulness. We all experience what fear looks like in our life. And David ex experienced that, and he recognized it's, it's not about me, it's about God and what he can do in my life to make it possible for me to move forward in that. In verse 2, David says, when evildoers assail or they assault me to devour me, they're my adversaries, they're like enemies against me. It's they who stumble and those who fall. Not me, those who stumble. Because why? God is my stronghold. God is my, is my strength. In verse, in verse 3, he says, David responds, though an army surrounds me, my heart will not fear. Though a war will break out, I will not be, or yet I will be, excuse me, confident. The word confident means to trust. The word confidence has the idea and the meaning to be secure. It has the idea of assurance. The source of David's confidence is not in his own strength or ability, but in the strength of God. And by the way, church, that's how it works for us as well. Where it's not about me and how much I can get going and make it happen. It's God in us, amen, that makes a difference. That God is for us and he's with us and God is, is in us. While living under intense pressure and difficulty, the courageous missionary in inland China, Hudson Taylor, wrote these words. He said this, it does not matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer to his heart. We all experience a certain amount of pressure. Amen, church? I'm sure right now that you're thinking, okay, it's Sunday. I just want to kind of encourage you today. You know, tomorrow's coming and maybe you feel there's a certain pressure in life, a, per a pressure in a relationship. Whatever it may be in life, we understand what pressure is like. And I love what he says here. When pressure comes, it, it shouldn't distance us from God. It should, amen, press us closer to God and who he is. 
Isaiah 41.10 puts it this way. For I am with you, be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a great promise. Amen, church? Psalm, or Isaiah, excuse me, 26, verse 3 and 4. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord, and I love this statement, forever. Not just trust occasionally, but trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord is an everlasting rock. That, that word a rock represents he is solid. He is supportive. The defense, he's with us. He's with us. You probably heard this commercial about car wrecks and injuries in Kansas City. There's one commercial online that says, Mike's got this. Anybody hear that? Anybody hear that? I just, I hear it so often. It's kind of just, we, we watch a little bit of TV on uh, in the morning for, I think it happens about four or five times. Like Mike's got this, <laughs> right? So, so I get it. Mike, Mike's got this, but I'm telling you church, God's got this. Amen. God's got this. No matter what you're going through, how difficult it is, he is your stronghold. He is your light. He is your strength. Believe that, amen. Rest on that. Rest on that. God's got this. So a courageous faith makes it possible to live with confidence and then to make worship a priority. Verse 4 through 6. David says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek or pursue after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or meditate in his temple. Don't miss this church. In Psalm 27 verse 4, David said, one thing I ask for the Lord. Just one thing. And the one thing I'm asking for the Lord is that I may seek him and pursue him and have relationship with him that I may persistently require that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. May I, may I dwell in his presence. And so that's why we get the idea that this whole idea of stronghold and strength and all these things in light is that he, may, he must be going through a difficult, dark time. And so he just, he just declares the significance and the dynamic of worship, of worship. Catch that phrase, one thing I've asked, not two things or three things or 10 things, just one thing I've asked for the Lord to gaze upon him. What is your one thing? What is your one thing today? Is it health? Is it money? Control? Is it relationships? Is it marriage? Is it a family? Is it your job or security? Approval or prosperity? You just fill in the blanks. We, we all have that one thing, church. Think about that. What is that one thing for you? David's one thing was to gaze. That word gaze has the idea of just looking at something, not just a, a, a quick glance. It's not a glance, it's a gaze. He's looking. I, I told you my story when I was in, I was like what, a sophomore in high school and sitting in church right over here. And just, I had been in church very long there because my dad was a new, a new pastor there. And the choir didn't sit up front. They would kind of walk up. And I, I was sitting by a guy named Dan. And I looked over there and I, I said, Dan, who, who's that walking up there? And he said, well, that's, that's Judy Skelling. 
And I began to gaze at her. <laughs> and I've been gazing for about almost 50 years, been gazing at you, Judy. I'm serious. I'm gazing, right? a focus on that. What is your one? What is it? What is your one? The idea of gazing means to look into something deeply with pleasure. Timothy Keller puts it this way. How many of you have heard of Timothy Keller? He just passed away a couple of, uh, about a couple months ago. Uh, he's just a great Bible teacher. I listen to him a lot online. He has just some, uh, just gifted and uh, he died of cancer here a few, a few months ago. He, he made this statement, and this statement here. Gazing is not a one-time glimpse, but a steady, sustained focus, praising, admiring, and enjoying God for who He is. Do we spend time gazing on the Lord? There's lots of stuff I can find myself gazing on. So I'm not saying it's a bad thing to gaze on other things. But should the priority of our life be that the ultimate gaze that we have is a gaze on the Lord? Not something confined on a Sunday morning, but I'm talking about something that we just live out of our life that just means so much. Who He is in our life. And the change that Jesus Christ makes in our life because of God and who He is in our life. What is your one thing? In verse 5, he says, For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble and adversity. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me up upon a rock. A rock. David realized without God we have nothing. Without God we have nothing. And with God we've got everything. We've got everything. David communicates these three words here. God will hide me in the day of trouble. He will conceal or protect me under the cover of his tent. And he will lift me up or exalt me high on his rock. All three of those statements emphasize the significance and dynamic of protection. So David's going through something, amen? Going through some kind of trial, some kind of issue in life. But he looks at this psalm. I just want to just, I'm gazing on him. I want him to hide me in the shelter of the day of trouble and adversity. Aren't there some times in your life you just want to say, man, I just want to check out. I just got to get out of this. It's just overwhelming sometimes in life and things that happen in our lives. In verse 6, he says, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. In this section, he's worshiping God here, right? It's, it's, It's a worship my head is lifted up among enemies. I will offer tent and shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody in and to the Lord. David is honored and his head is lifted up. He's gazing and yet his head is lifted up to who God is. The sacrifices and shouts of joy. The bottom line here was public worship was a priority for David. Personal worship was a priority for David. Louis Giglio, a pastor in Atlanta, puts it this way. He defines worship. Worship is our response, both personal and corporate, to God for who He is 
and what he has done expressed in by the things we say and the way we live. I think it's a dynamic definition of what it means to worship. Worship is our response. I love it both personal and then today in this room, it's corporate. Amen. Church corporately to for God for who he is, what he's done expressed in and by the things we say and the way that we live. He goes on to say, worship doesn't begin with us. Worship begins and ends with God. And God is worthy of all praise from all people for all time. He goes on to say, we are created to worship. Hey church, we're worshiping something. Amen. All right. Whether it's the chiefs or some other event that you like or some concert or whatever, nothing wrong with those things, but we, we worship a lot of different stuff, right? Our ultimate worship is to be God and to gaze upon him. Nothing wrong with all the other things that are here, but the focus for David is it's about God. It's about him and who he is. He goes on to say that God is worthy of all praise for all people and all times. We are created to worship. You only have one life, Louis Giglio says, and you only have one life of worship. And it's important to know that worship is not confined to a Sunday gathering here. It's not that we, and we come to worship here, but there, we're going to leave here in a few minutes. And then there, we, still, we, don't, we just don't check out and say, okay, I did my worship deal, kind of my worship gig here at church. We, we ought to, our, our work is to be a part of worship, our work. Are you with me, church? Are we here together? The dynamic of our family is part of our worship. Where we live in our neighborhood is part of our worship. Right? It's not just confined to music. It's not confined to a song. And those are wonderful to, to help us give those lyrics back to God in worship. But your job can be a part of your worship, what you're doing, making a difference in the lives of others and those that you serve with. It's more than singing. Worship is prayer. Worship is scripture. Worship is meditating. Worship is responding. Worship is, is focusing on. Worship is, is gazing on the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 29:2 put it this way: Honor the Lord for the glory of his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. We get to worship God. Church, think of the God who spoke this world into existence. We can have a personal relationship with him, church. Are we getting? That's amazing, isn't it? It's amazing to have that relationship with him, a personal relationship with him. We worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. I like that phrase, the glory of his name. That word glory speaks of the weight and the majesty and the honor of God and who he is. The word glory is the word kavod. It has the idea of heaviness or weighty. Chuck Swindoll says that God is the heaviest of the heavies. He's heavy. God's heavy, man. He, do we say that back in the 70s somewhere? Like that, that's heavy, man. I just thought about it. That was cool. I, I, the 70s were good. I, I like the 70s. The cars were a lot better in the 70s, too. I'm, I'm telling you, man. It was... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, let's, we'll move on with that. <laughs> everything we do, and I mean, I know it's just, we think, everything we do should be to God's glory. Not your glory, not my glory. We, I, I can be such a glory grabber. May we be glory givers. 
whether we eat or drink, whatever we do, do all to the, the glory, whether we, the, the mundane things of life, eating and drinking, we still give God the glory because he's the heaviest of the heavies. God is worthy of our worship. So David reminds us to live with confidence and make worship a priority. And then he emphasizes the importance of prayer in 7 through 12. Paul Miller in his book, A Praying Life, puts it this way. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and connect with God. One more time. Prayer is simply the medium through which we experience and we connect with God. Prayer is simply conversation. Now think about that, church. When we pray, we have, we're having conversation with the God who spoke this world into existence. Are we tracking today out there? It's just, it just kind of blows your mind, doesn't it? It's just good to be remembered how great he is. How great he is. We have the privilege of connecting with him. Never have to make an appointment. Any time, any moment, any day. To just barge into the throne of grace to find grace to help in time of need. I'm just saying, church, what a God, amen? What a God. So David, in this passage here, demonstrates the reality of what he's, what he's going through and, and the significance of, of, his, of his faith being strengthened. All right? So I, I just got a couple of thoughts that came to mind based on these passages here for us personally. You and I emphasize prayer when you or we recognize your need for prayer. Verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry out, be gracious to me and answer me. So with humility saying, God, when I cry out to you, I'm just asking you graciously and faithfully to answer me. I think it's a great statement. David saw his need for prayer. Do do you see, do, do I see my need for prayer? For too often in my life, it's like, I'm going to try to work it out for my own. That's kind of how it works for me a lot, of t- unfortunately. I'm going to try to figure this out first. And then if it doesn't work out, then, okay, all right, I'm going to give you a, you know, we do that often. We're, we're, in my life, should it be for me the first priority to go to him in prayer? Now, thank God for friends and encouragement and other people in your life. Nothing wrong with that. But our thought is, that I'm, just, I'm going to God first. I'm going to God first. Too often prayer becomes the last resort instead of our first response. You know, we just kind of wait till the end. Okay, maybe I better maybe check this out and pray. And church, when you think about it, we're dependent on the Lord for our next breath. Really, I, you take 25,000 a day. That's what doctors tell us. Dr. Keith, I, I heard that. I don't know if you know that, can affirm that or not. I, I did count it here a couple of weeks ago just to kind of figure it out. I was wore out, man. It was a long, it was a, a long, it was a long day. All right. You emphasize prayer when you pursue God. He says, you have, you have, he says, you have said to God, you have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, I, I desire to seek and pursue. To seek the Lord's face communicates to Pursue and, and to desire your pres- his, his presence and your, his faithfulness and his kindness in prayer. And David did ignore prayer, but he invited the Lord and God into his prayer. 
We emphasize prayer in verse, verse 9 when he says, I, I, just, I need help. Davis, I'm needing help. So we get the idea there's a problem and challenges going and things happen. It's like, I need help. He says, hide not your face from me. Don't, don't, God, don't, I need you. I need you. Don't hide your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. Oh, you have been my help. Cast me. Don't, don't throw me off. Don't, don't forsake me. Don't abandon me. Oh, God of my salvation. That phrase, hide your face from me, communicates, God, don't reject me. Don't ignore me. And God's not going to reject you. God's not going to ignore you. But sometimes we feel that way, all right? That, that God's just not, he just checked out or something. He's just, he's just ignoring me. And he's not ignoring you, right? He's not rejecting you. Prayer is more than getting an answer, church. Prayer is getting God. It's, it's getting God. So, so much I want, I want what I want to happen and what I want it to do. And it becomes more about me than it does about God and what he wants me to do and what he wants me to become. Now, it's easy to talk about this on a Sunday morning, but on Wednesday afternoon, it doesn't work that well, that hard, you know, that, that well. Verse 10. You, he says, I, when you pray and emphasize, you're, you're, you experience hope. He says, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. And, and David had some, some trouble with family. I and mean, Absalom wanted to kill him and, you know, went after him. He had all kinds of stuff going on, man. Right? My father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. In some ways in life, there's sometimes we experience that maybe we, that God has just left us that sometimes we have the feeling of abandonment i thought about that word abandonment and the ultimate abandonment was jesus christ on the cross for you and me he, he was abandoned that you and i could have relationship with him what a gift that is what a gift he will never leave you he will never forsake you he will never abandon you that's a good promise church Jim Cimbala. Anybody know that name, Jim Cimbala? Great preacher in New York for many, many years. Anybody remember that name at all? That was a big name in the 70s. I, I just came across this here what, in my research. In his book called that Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. It's just a classic book. Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. He writes this. God is attracted to weakness. Uh, I don't know if I got it there or not. God is attracted to weakness. He, he can't resist those who humbly and honestly admit how desperately they need him. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for his power. I love that. Our weakness, in fact, makes room for his power. Because I, I want to be in control. I, I want to be in charge. But when we recognize how, how weak I am and how weak you are, it just, it gets, it just gives God some room in your life, amen, to, to do his work in your heart and life. Because it's not about you anymore it's about God and who he is. That's a great statement. I just, that's good. God has attracted the weakness. Not pride. Not having all the answers, right? Not how many times you read through the Bible during your year, all that kind of, there's nothing wrong with some of those. It's just weakness and humility and how desperate we need him. David reminds us in verse 11 and 12, teach me, God, and lead me your way and lead me on a level. The idea, lead me on a, on a right path in life because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me and they breathe even violence against me. So again, David's going through some trouble here, man. All right, trials and challenges. People are beating up on him. 
and he cries out to God. So when you get beaten up and feel that way, what, what do you do? You know, do, do we internalize that and say, well, it's about me and it's all, we just give that to God. Amen. He wants to hear us. He, he's our heavenly father. He wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from me. Teach me and lead me. A courageous faith makes it possible to live with confidence and make worship a priority, to emphasize the importance of prayer, and then to put your trust in the Lord, Psalm 13 and 14. Powerful statement. David closes by saying, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living with all the crud and stuff he's gone through in those other 12 verses, adversaries against him, hopelessness, uh, you know, seeking God, needing help. I love, I, but I believe, he says, that I will look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He goes on to say, wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It's like David is saying, take a deep breath and look just for, just take a little bit, a moment again, just to gaze for a moment on the goodness and how just good and great God is and what you're going through in life. And sometimes we just, we just miss that. And I get it, man, life gets, it gets hard, it gets tough. There's relationships that are hard and just life and stuff and finances and debt and all that junk and become, we get all that stuff and we just forget the goodness of the Lord. Psalm 34 and verse 8, the psalmist said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. So just great reminders of that, that who He is and how He's at work. In verse 14, he says, Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. So wait for the Lord, be strong, let your heart take courage. Okay, I'm going to get one more time here. Wait for the Lord, right? He's just saying, wait for the Lord. How many of you in the room today like to wait? Raise your hand. You just, you just love waiting, right? Yeah, I don't see anybody here, all right? Get out of here, man. You... I'm just messing with you, Tim, all right? Yep, please stay, all right? But man, I just, I don't, I don't like to wait on anything, man. It's just horrible. When it comes to waiting, I'm the world's worst. And my wife would probably affirm that graciously and kindly. Whether it's a doctor appointment, waiting and waiting and you know, waiting, to, you know, waiting, waiting, you know, in line for something, waiting, waiting, waiting. Going to a restaurant. I, I can maybe give it 10 minutes in a restaurant. I can't go beyond, I just can't go beyond 10 minutes. Life is too short for that. I just can't, it's not that, it can't be that good, can it? To wait for 45 minutes or whatever. Sporting event. Driving down Highway 71, bumper to bumper. Our kids live in Ozark, Missouri, Springfield area. We'll go down there, you know, not every week, but every couple times a month down there for some events and stuff like that and athlete, athletic stuff and we try to leave, like, okay, I'll leave at 2 o'clock. We're going to get 2 o'clock. We get down there, and it's just, it's just horrible. You get through the, what's that triangle there? The, the, help me out there. The what triangle? 
the, the devil's triangle. Oh, no, okay, it's the, uh, the, okay, I couldn't remember what, I didn't hear what you guys were saying out there. It's just crazy, isn't it? And three lanes go down to two. What's up with that? I mean, I don't get that. We, we've waited there before for 30 minutes or more. I just, I can't enjoy, I just can't enjoy it. I just can't, this is so much fun. Just, to, I just love just hanging out here in the car with Judy. And, you know, I, no, it's not about that at all. I'm, I'm jockeying. I'm looking around. I'm, I'm moving from lane to lane. You know, all that kind of stuff. It's just, it's just ridiculous. When I go home from, from work at the church here, 72nd Street, have you noticed that the, the traffic in the area here, anybody, I mean, I'm just, it, traffic is just, has everywhere around the Northland is just crazy. So if I pull out around 5 or 5.30, that's, which is just not the best time to pull out. If I see, and sometimes I'll see 14 or 15 cars in two lanes backed up, I'm not going to pull in behind them. Right? <laughs> so I'm, I'm watching, especially if the light is, is red. I've got other ways to go. I've got two other ways I can go, and I'll just, I'll just, I'll just go up this way and back around and go that way. I, I just, I just gotta, I just gotta keep moving and keep going. Right? I just love it. I love it. I just can't wait. I don't have time to wait. But, but listen, church. But waiting on God is not that kind of waiting. Right? Waiting on God is not that kind of waiting. Paul Tripp puts it this way. Uh, Paul Tripp has a great book called, uh, what is it, T uh, Todd, Psalm, Psalm 27, I can't remember the, uh, Times of Trouble, it's a great, it's a great book, I know I think you gave it to me years ago, and our guys have read it, he just says this, waiting is an expression of God's good, listen to that, waiting is an expression of God's goodness, wisdom, and love, his timing is always right, waiting is all about what you will become as you wait, that's a takeaway, right? Waiting is all about what you will become as you wait. Waiting means actively relying on God. It's hard to be patient. Waiting time is not wasted time. Waiting time is trusting time. I'm trusting on the Lord in this decision. I'm trusting on the Lord Whatever it may be, I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on that. And, often, and oftentimes we're in the waiting room. Right? You, you've been there at the hospital. It's just, there's something about that waiting room. Just, just you, You've been there, haven't you, when they have loved ones? We've been there before with loved ones and our family, and you're there. And then after four hours or five hours, now we love our family. We're all about it. But there's something about that waiting in that room. It just, it just weakens you. It just takes, doesn't it, right? It just takes it out of you. It just takes it out of you. So waiting time is not wasted time. Waiting time is trusting time. Keep trusting. Keep trusting as you wait. Psalm 31, 24, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who hope in the Lord. And so when you wait on the Lord, you can live with confidence because you know every one of his promises are true, right? Everything he says in his word is true. Wait on the Lord is not about what you're hoping God to do for you but what he's able to do in you, in that waiting moment, you want to, you want to fix it. You, you want to wait. I've been in a waiting room for, I had, I had a waiting room for one, one year back in the day. You, you, you've had those rooms where just, it's just waiting. It's just a, I don't know what to do. How is it going to look in my life? What is it going to look like? 
And so we all experience those seasons of adversity and trials in life that require a certain amount of just waiting and working through it, processing it, praying, what's, what's next for me? How does this work for me? And what, what does God have for me? First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. First Peter chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. In this you rejoice. And Peter had all kinds of problems. Though now for a little while, not just now for a while, thank God for the little while, right? That, little, that word little, that's a big deal right there, right? Though now for a little while, and catch this, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuous of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This passage is just pregnant with truth here. Just crazy. In this you rejoice for problems and troubles and trials? Rejoicing for that? Yeah, that's what the word says. Though now for a, just, a, just a little while, okay? A little, just a little while. If necessary, sometimes it's just necessary for God to put us out there just for a little bit to work in our heart, to change our life, to change our trajectory of our lives, to help us, you know, refine our lives. You've been grieved by various trials. That idea of various has multi, 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 multi trials. Just trials are different. Multifaceted trials out there. Right? Are we right, church? You've, you've had trials and testing, right? And trouble? Am I talking to, yeah, you've been here. And so God uses you in different kinds of trial that I've had, and maybe the trial you're having or had, they just might be different, but God uses those to, to, to work in our hearts and our lives. And he, he, he tests it by fire. You know, he put the, the, the goal, you put the fire to the goal, and it takes all the impurities out of that. And God just wants to purify your life and put you through this and test you. That you can be found in the end result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So God's troubles and God's trials are given to us to refine us, to change us, to grow us. It's not easy to be in that refining moment. Trials are necessary to reveal our helplessness. At the same time, teach us our humility. We're helpless, and then God reminds just how much we need to. God humbles us. God has humbled me. I, I, I need it. Humble pie. I need, I need it. Trials come in various forms for different people. You may have a trial that's going through right now that's different than my trial or my trouble or my situation. And then trials are this great. There are these refining fires that, that He puts fire to us that begins to reveal just how faithful our, our, our faith is, how genuine our faith is. He just push it to the fire. Have you, have you been there, church? I, I can't imagine not experiencing that as a believer, all right? right? We've, we've been there, man. It's hard. By God's grace, we just, we just move through that with him. It's easy to say it right here, right now. Right now, I'm not in a, in a trial right now. Right? I could be tomorrow or next week. But in that season, God is at work in our lives. God uses adversity in your life and my life to produce staying power. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't check out. Don't check out. Stay in your marriage. Stay in your family. Stay in your job. 
Stay in your church. Stay in your whatever you can fill in the blank, right? You just stay because you want to run, right? James talked about that. You want to just get out of Dodge. You want to run. He said, don't, no, no, it's not about running, Bob. It's about remaining. Just stay under it. Because if you run, God's going to pursue you and do whatever it takes to, to help change your, your life. Are you with me, church? And so it's not always easy to say just to, to give up. I just, I just give up. I just give up. It's not easy. You know, I don't like to wait. I don't have time to wait. I want to be in charge. But God does his best work in the waiting room. Just waiting and waiting. David says, wait for the Lord. Wait to be strong. Stand firm and just wait. With God, David says, you have everything. He is your light. He is your strength. He is your stronghold, church. He's your stronghold. Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31, even youth shall faint and be weary and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord will get that. We who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There's There's just something so... Significant after you just you've waited you've worked through and you you see how God is working how God's using people in your life God will use people in your life. All right To to change you and Some people are uh, You know, you don't really like them that well Uh, And they but God uses them in your life to to change you and to work in your heart and God puts them in your life God puts you in a a, a neighborhood. We got a neighbor next to you for some reason God wants you to have that neighbor to somehow refine your life because you're just, it's all about you. It's all about you. It's not about serving your neighbor. And there can be some weird neighbors, man. I mean, okay. we don't have any weird ones at our, our house or anything. We might be the weird one. I don't know. We are, right? <laughs> and Paul Tripp puts it this way when he writes, when you are waiting on the Lord, you have placed your hope in the one who is the ultimate source of everything that is wise, good, and true. When you wait for the Lord, you are placing your safety in the hands of one whose power is immeasurable. Wow. It's easy to read this right now, but when you're in it, it, you feel the weight of that. Be strong and let your heart take courage today, church family. Wait on the Lord. Live with confidence. Make worship your priority. Emphasize the importance of prayer and put your trust in the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and and He will direct your paths. And He will do that, church. There's got to be stories in this room, right? Stories of your life, how God changed your life and the trajectory of your life going through a refining moment. And at that moment you're going through it or that season you're going through it, it's hard. You want to quit. You want to give up. But God says, persevere. Stay in the game. Are you with me, church? You you stay in there. Because if you run, he's going to go come after you because he's going to still want to work in your heart and life. Are we making sense out here to church? That's the God that we serve. That's how much he cares for you and cares for me. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you today for Psalm 27. Thank you for the clarity of 
David's words, really your words through David. God, we thank you that you are at work in our lives and we have adversarial situations and just trouble and problems and trials. All these things, God, you allow into our lives to produce in our life staying power. That you use trials in our lives to produce in our life endurance and perseverance. James reminds us, just stay in, stay in there, man. Don't, don't just stay in there. Stay in there. And God's working in our hearts and lives. Before I close out this prayer this morning, or we're in this moment of prayer, in the room today, perhaps you just would raise your hand today and just say, Bob, I'm going through a refining season. I'm going through a time of trials and adversity. And you just would raise your hand and say, that's me today in this room. All right, thanks for being transparent. Every, every section, people's hands up. All right, got you back there. All right. Thank you over here, right in the middle here. I got you on the left, uh, sweetheart. Yeah. I, I know it's, it's, we can hear it here, but I, I just want you to know that, that God is real, that God is, gonna, God is somehow using that in your life to, to change you and to encourage you, even to use what you're going through to be a story, that God can use your story in the lives of others. And the most ultimate gift is that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I trust that you have a relationship, a defining moment when you realize, I'm a sinner. Jesus died for me. He rose again from the dead. Three days later, resurrection, all that. It's, it's the gospel. It's, it's putting your faith and trust in Christ. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We've all sinned and come short of the goodness and greatness and glory of God. And we, we fall down and say, God, I am a sinner. I commit that. My attitudes... My actions are sinful. We just call upon his name. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, the Bible says, will be delivered, will be given eternal life in the person of Christ. If you haven't done that today, it meant today could be that defining moment for you. So Father, we thank you for Psalm 27. Thank you for the truth of your word and your faithfulness. And we give all that to you, we pray in, in Jesus' name. And together, church, we said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.